Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So I want to talk to you a little bit about this small little word, hope. Hope. It's amazing how many times the Bible uses this word, hope. Hope is throughout, scattered throughout the Bible. And Paul begins to explain this, this concept of hope to us as well in, in Romans chapter 8. And we'll go there now. But hope means, this is a long-winded uh, definition of it. But it says the confidence by, by using God's redemptive acts, what God did for us. It's the confidence that what we have in what God did for us with trusting a human response in the present, with a trusting human response. So if we take what God did for us in the past through the cross and what Jesus has done and all the miracle signs and wonders that God had done on the earth and everything that we know about God, everything that God had worked so that we can get to the place where we are called children and we take our ability to trust Him and combine that together in the present, the faithful, those who believe and are faithful will experience the fullness of God's goodness both now and in the future. So if you, if you as a human being takes what God has done for you in the past and you recognize the work on the cross, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross so that you can make money. You can do that by just studying. I mean, if, that had to go, if Jesus had to die for you to be rich, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus didn't die for you to get a job. That you can just do that by washing your hair and learning how to speak. Getting a job's easy. That, that's not what Jesus, Jesus died so that very many other things in life can be brought in direction. The primary thing that Jesus died for is for your sins because when you are alive, the Bible talks about it and, and Paul elaborates in Romans. He says that if while you are still alive, you are subject to the law. That while you're breathing, Another statement I made and, and that I want to remind a lot of you, you, yes, you tonight about is that we're all dying. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And if you are dying, it's an indication that your body still does sin. Because if, you, if the wages of sin is death, but you don't do sin, how can you have the wages thereof? So which one is qualified to judge? We are destined to die once, luckily not twice. Because the Bible says if you are not born again, so you are born for a second time, the first one dies, the second one is made alive in Christ Jesus. You, you, your body may perish in death, but your mind is kept alive by the Spirit of God, that, the Spirit of God that raises your spirit up into newness of life. Make sense? So every person is destined to die once. You are going to die, like it or not, you're getting older. Every year goes by, I have a different thing that hurts when I wake up. When I was a teenager, I could sleep on any mattress, including the floor. Now that I'm older, I have to have a plush mattress that has got support all over. It's not working. It's the reminder that we are not there yet. The pains you feel and the, the fact that you're growing and getting wrinkles is a reminder that you are not at the end of it, you are not done, you are not perfected, you have not arrived on the mountaintop. You have not come to a place where you have no issues and no sins and no flaws. You are still a work in progress. Until the day that Jesus Christ comes to get you, that work will go on. He says what hope means is to wait for or look for 
forward with eager expectation. Hope is not a presence type of word. Hope is a future-based word. Now, he takes hope and connects that in Hebrews 1. Put that scripture back up there. He connects hope with faith. He says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the manifestation now and in my heart and in my conviction, faith becomes the substance that replaces that thing which I expect in the future but don't have yet. Hope is a word for the future. Hope is something that resides in my tomorrow and my present situation may not be as I want it to be. Present reality might not be as I need it to be. Everybody wants to be able to say that their God is good to them. When I started out, I told you again, so many things I said this morning, a while ago, I forgot what I preached. But I remember as a young man trying to serve God, 18 years, fresh out of hell. Well, where else are you going when you're not born again? Completely lost and broken, God saves my life, and here I am serving God. And I, and, 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 and I had a ton of friends that, that I would have loved to be able to show them what I had experienced, to try and explain it. Now imagine you're in a group of friends, all of them, the one thinks is cooler than the next one, and you're trying to explain to them that I can't go out with you tonight to the local club because I've decided now that I'm going to live for Jesus. And they say to you, what? And I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm not talking about all of uh, many of you that come from a Christian background and grew up in churches and never sinned. Don't, there are a few, I can see it in your face, that understand what I'm talking about. So I'm trying to explain to them, but I, I want them to, to, to get that God did something for me, but there's no way to show them. Because at that mind, I'm still doing what they're doing. I might not sin as much as they do in, in the sense of that I don't go to nightclubs anymore. I don't drink. I don't party as they did. I don't have the same language as they had. But there's not really much of a difference. They look at me. I look at the same with them. That we get, both get in cars and we drive to different places. We both have work. We both get a salary. We both sort of happy. They're also happy. I mean, you don't get a lot of 18-year-olds that are not happy. I mean, they're happy. Life goes on. I'm trying to explain to them that I've got Jesus and they don't get it. It'd be cool if I could just say to them, okay, watch this. And I can do a magic trick. And I can go like, tonight you will not sleep. And Jesus will visit you in your dreams. And he's going to show himself to you. And then tomorrow morning, my friend phones me and says, you, you won't believe what happened. Last night I couldn't sleep. Jesus came. Even if I tried, I heard about a guy that wanted to be in a service, prove that he, he could also by faith walk on water. He just sank right to the bottom. It'd be cool if we could show that what we believe in by what happens right now. I mean, how many, how many times did we have to talk to teenagers' parents when the teenager says, I want to be baptized, and the mother, say, mother or father says, not under my watch, you were baptized as a baby. And we had to have this discussion or people come to and say, I want to go to a U group. And the parent says, no, it's exam times. You ain't going to a U group. You're in high school. We need to get you to pass first. We'll worry about your spirit later. And I wish I could show them the end result of succeeding academically by losing God. 
I wish I could show them, but I can't show them because that's in the future. It's not now. And how many of us live in the now so wishing that we could prove what we believe now? But it is not now, it is somewhere in the future. Much of what we're going through now is, 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 is a step of faith to stay where God wants you to stay, not seeing the results of where you're going. I mean, Abraham went going not knowing. He, he went someplace not knowing where he was going. Make sense? All right, go with me to um, hope. Another word, of, it's eager, hope is just eager expectation. Go with me to Romans chapter number eight, and we'll begin reading there some scriptures and we'll try and break it up. Romans chapter number eight. Paul is dealing with this thing. If you read chapter seven, you'll see that Paul uses I, personal pronouns consistently, I think 50 something times. Paul refers to himself. Um, For I speak to those who know the Lord that the Lord, the dominion over man as long as lives, um, where, where, where can I begin? Let's verse nine. I was alive once without the law, but when, I, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. So he talks a lot about I. And so in chapter eight, he jumps and he doesn't talk about I anymore. He talks about the Holy Spirit. He begins to talk about the Spirit. And in verse 13 in chapter seven, he says, uh, he, he talks about the fact that you cannot be saved by the law. The law is against all of us. And we, he says that we are all subject to the law until we die. Watch, we jump into chapter number eight. And he says, for I consider... I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. Paul is saying, let me read that again to you, Mr. Christian. In your complaining and wanting attention, we give much too much attention to your depression. We give much too much attention to your pain. When we lend out an ear for your complaints, we're not helping you. When we sit and listen, I just want somebody to listen. No, you want attention. Because Paul is teaching me to have a very, very different response to current suffering. Paul is trying to explain to me what I'm going through now will not remain like it does now. My pastor once said to me, he said, every storm runs out of rain. There is no storm in this country that has lasted five years. There's no physical storm. Clouds have gathered together and rained for a year nonstop. Every storm runs out of rain. And most of us like to complain. How many of us complain about our financial situation? Especially now with interest rates not going down. If you're a teenager, you haven't got a cooking clue. Only thing I can tell you is that you'll notice that your lunchbox has changed. Everything is too expensive. And every, all, everything cost has gone up. Life is tough at the moment financially. It's been tough for a while, but it's even more so now. How many of you have, are stuck? Most of you are not married. Somebody said the other day, I never realized how single I am. Until I had to put my hand up every Sunday. <laughs> Where are my single people at? 
I don't know how I got Janelle. It's a miracle. But in your loneliness, you, you're stuck in a season and, and, and things are, are not working out. Some of you are dealing with grown-up issues while being a child. Your parents are divorced or getting a divorce or your parents don't have any income or they're losing their job or, or they got retrenched or your dad's an alcoholic or your mom is just nice and things are not working out. Life is tough. And you're in, in a situation, Paul is talking to this and he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, because most of your problems weren't there before you met Jesus. Because when you did not have Jesus, you were blind to a lot of things. If you had an issue, you could go get drunk. If you had an issue, you could get a girlfriend on the side, even though you're married, because what what measure do you have to control your conscience? What, what, what is, uh, what, your integrity is not there because why should you have any integrity? What's the end result? You die. And so you can do a lot of things to deal with your issue. But now that you have God, you know that he's watching. He's watching. God is seeing you. And now when you do things, you, you know that he sees. That's why something in you begins to tell you, stop doing that. And it hurts and life has changed now and you're suffering because Paul is going through this. He, he says in chapter 7, that which I want to do, I do not do. That which I do not want to do, I find myself doing that. How many people can relate with Uncle Paul? He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. And I'm not just talking about you can't get a date. I'm talking about you are now serving God. And your group of friends at your age is beginning to reject you because they're at an age where they want to vape. And you go to a party and this is where you're at when you're 15, 16, 17 years old. You go to a party and you're also, you love Unite 180, the church that God has put you in. You love going to you groups. Oh, but you need friends. And every time you say not for me, you know your street cred is going down. It's like one of those counters that's in the games. You're losing life. And your friends are beginning to, that's the suffering that I'm talking about because that begins there. And now you say, I, I don't want to go out and have a beer. We can go have a cup of co cappuccino. And the guy goes, cappuccino. Cappuccino. Ah, what's wrong with you? Let's go have a beer. You go, and you're beginning to lose friends. You might be in a house. We have a, we have a Hindu girl in the church that got saved. She's no longer in the, it's the wrong way to say that. An ex-Hindu girl got saved and wants to get married. Her parents is kicking her out doesn't talk to her because she's chosen Jesus. That's not the same as you don't get a date. That's the suffering that you go through. One hand, you're sitting at your house, you're all alone. You can either go out to the bar, or you can sit at your house and just be by yourself. But you, you might turn 22 years old. How many 22 year old think that they're not, never gonna meet someone, it's just too late for you? <laughs> I remember turning 21 thinking, and God sent Chanel. She was 14. I'm kidding. She wasn't 14. That's funny. I'm kidding. She wasn't. She was 18. Legal. 
Paul says, I am convinced. Put that verse up on the screen. I'm convinced that this present suffering, the suffering of this present time, is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed not to us, in us. Hope tells me that where I am now will not last. I have to have hope as a Christian. If I've lost hope, it means I'm staying put. Because none of you who set your mind to what you want to have considers where you are not having it. You dream about what it would look like when you have it. How many of you, when you were a kid, dreamed about having a bicycle? Is there anybody in the room that dreamed about having a bicycle? Just help me out. Did you picture yourself not having a bicycle? Or did you see yourself riding around on the bicycle? Hope is the same. That if you've lost hope, all you see is your depression. Because you're telling yourself this will not change. And when you have this mindset around you, there is an error that begins to form around you. There is, a, there is something about you that just, have you noticed, some of you are too young to notice, but there are just people you don't want to be in a room with. Because they're like apps on your iPhone. They just drain you. They took, take too much power from you. They just drain you. They empty you. Oh, you don't have any hope. Because if you really truly believe that there is something more in your future, you know this won't last. I might be in a storm now, but the rain's running out. My thing's about to change. You don't pray if you don't hope for something. Prayerlessness is sometimes a sign of your hopelessness. Because how do you begin to pray if you don't hope that God would answer? It is the eager expectation that God has something better for you in your future. And Paul is trying to explain this. He says, I am convinced that this, I consider that the present suffering of this present age is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And he begins to explain the earnest expectation of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility. This is by God. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The whole creation was put into futility. The whole creation was, was put into a state of, of not having. And God subjected that futility, that, that nothingness, this brokenness, in hope that somewhere in the future, God will take it out of this state. So whole, the whole creation, everything around us, is subject to this brokenness, this, this, this hopelessness. <clears throat> Saying that God subjected it in hope because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption. So creation itself is waiting, hoping to be delivered from where it is right now. The suffering and all the dictators and all the mess and all the wars and all the, the fights and all the killing and all the, the issues that the world is struggling with and racism and poverty and hunger and all the hurt that the world has on it. It is groaning and it's waiting, subjected to this futility Subjected to this hope that, that God has placed hope at the end of this, that, that even creation will come out of this thing different. All creation is waiting eagerly. Watch what he says. I'm going to try and explain it. Creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Creation will be delivered. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth banks together until now. Not only that, but... 
we also, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. We wait eagerly, hoping, waiting. Even us, we wait eagerly. Paul spent the entire seventh chapter talking about the body of death. This body that is fighting inside of him for control of his mind. Your spirit is whispering in the one ear and your body is whispering in the other ear. And both wants to control your mind. Your mind is in the middle and your mind can't make sense of what is happening around you. I'm going forward, but then I give a step back. I say I'm going to be holy and then I commit a sin this side. I try not to do it and I say the wrong thing. And, and there's a fight. He says we are waiting with, with troubles and sufferings and issues. We are waiting for the deliverance of this body. For we were saved in this hope. We were saved in this hope. Eager expectation that God is going to deliver us. We were saved in hope. If you're a Christian, you're not supposed to have a pity party. You're supposed to look forward. You're supposed to have some hope in you that although this hurts like hell, Bishop T.D. Jake says it very well. He says, when I am sick and I go to a hospital for an operation, I have pain. He, not, he says, but when I come out of the operation, I'll also have pain. The one is excruciating and enduring and will not go. I have to exchange it for a healing pain. The pain that I feel after the operation is not the same as the pain that I had before the operation. He says, the one has to be exchanged for the other one. The one is to heal me. The one is to destroy me. It is same with your submission to God that although you feel pain at the loss of things and the suffering and the accusations and the verbal abuse, that pain is exchanged for the pain that you're feeling in the lost state. We have to exchange something for something. That's why he says, bring me ashes for joy. And Paul says that you have to understand that even ourselves, we are waiting. He says, for we have been saved in the zone, but hope that is seen he says, but hope, we are waiting, we are saved in this hope. Put it up, verse 24, let me read it to you. Verse 24, we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. So I can't see it because it's not present. Your eyes, your body is designed to interact with this world. Your eyes don't see tomorrow. Your mind sees tomorrow. Your eyes sees now. And if your mind is made depressed, because of what your eye sees, who's in charge? Your spirit or your flesh? Does that make sense? Where were I? Was I? Where was we? Where were we? We, we? We were saved in the hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. He says, hope that is seen is not hope. It's not hope if you can see it. Faith is the substance of the things hoped for. The evidence of the things not seen. Faith is the substance of the, Paul writes that too. Because he's elaborating in two different books, same thing. He's saying faith is the substance of the things hoped for. The evidence of the things not seen. You can't see it. Hope that is seen is not hope. Why would one still hope for what is seen? If creation is not released from this brokenness and the sin nature, if creation... People say, if it's a loving God, why are children hurt? Why are people hurting like this? Creation is under the control 
God already won the war. He has already overpowered and won the battle with the devil. It wasn't even in a fight. It's like, it's a mughi. Wat in a gebouw vastvlieg, niemand weet het nie. It wasn't really a fight. It's not like Jesus and devil got in a boxing match. It's more like, no, it's just not like that. But he had already won. But there is still the, the result of sin nature is in this world and it's still manifesting until it is brought under and every knee is bowed and the last enemy death is won. We are still in that position. He's saying that your problems is present, but we hope for a deliverance that is coming. Let me explain better. When we have a worship team up here, and we have five guys standing here, we don't have five individuals leading you in worship whose marriages are perfect. None of them are millionaires worshiping here. All of them are going home tonight figuring out how do they pay their bills at the end of the month. All of them are wanting to have friends and people that love them and support them and, and encourage them. All of them have parents that are either falling apart, doesn't want to have anything to do with their Christianity. Some of them are trying to figure out how do I buy a, a wedding ring or how do I pay for a wedding. Some of them got married and said, how do I now sustain this marriage? All going through things. But when they sing, they don't sing thinking about, oh, I don't know if this man is Holy, 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 holy donuts. Holy koskoop, kani kindsmal, holy holy. How many people are standing there worshiping, singing to God? Pour out your spirit. Pour out a hundred bucks. <laughs> Worrying about earthly things because you are not in your mind hoping for that which is to come. You're not singing like those who have the revelation that God has got you. He says he makes a table for you in the midst of your enemies. Many of us are not sitting at the table looking at the food. We're turning our back to the table looking at our enemies. We're not enjoying the meal as those who know that he made a table for me. And if you can make this table, he can make the enemies. We are sounding like Haasi and not Elijah. Haasi says, Look at these chariots. And he just says to him, open his eyes so that he may see. Those who are for us are much more than those who are against us. He's got a hope in him, an understanding that I don't see it, but I have a belief that it's coming. I remember when I was 20 years old, wanting to come to church, I was driving a Nissan Champ, green Nissan Champ Bucky. There's nothing that drifts as nice as a Nissan Champ Bucky. I would take my brother's Bucky, one day, I was trying to make a light with a lighter. It's like, and I was looking down. I drove into a tree with it. Because <laughs> I was freeing. Back in the, that's yesterday, it's gone. I'm a new creation. But I remember this Bucky. And one night, we didn't even have the money to pay for petrol for me to go to church. I wanted to go to church. I didn't miss church for nothing. I, when I got saved, I know where God took me out of. And I was so afraid that I would lose it, I didn't miss a thing. And this is not manipulation to get you into church, but who, to whom much is forgiven, he understands. And God saved my life. I don't want to miss church. But we didn't even have money for petrol at that point. 
And we went through ups, ups and downs as children. I went rich, wealthy, and extreme poverty where we didn't have petrol money. And I remember saying to my dad, I don't care, God will make a way. Not my issue. Because I was so excited to be in church that the lack of money for fuel wasn't the issue. But then I found myself with provisions and, 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 and substance and resources in my later years being more concerned than I was that day. How did hope diminish under the pressures of this world so much? How did my hope begin to fade under the stresses that I had to endure every day? Paul calls us to a still position and says, stop complaining. Because you are supposed to have a hope in you that where you are now, you will not remain. I'm thinking about Peter who denies Jesus. And I wonder how he was walking after he denied him three times. The words of God saying, tonight before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me three times. I remember, I, I, I imagine him walking, thinking about how did I, how did I, how did I do that? Why did I do that? And he doesn't know that Jesus' eyes are on him. That where he is, that won't last. And he just goes about his life catching fish in my mind. I see him catching fish, but his shoulders are slumped down. It's as if he's lost it all. It's over. He's made too many mistakes. He tried so hard for three years. He walked with Jesus. He saw the miracles. I mean, he saw how they broke the bread. How could it be that I see him break bread? Collect 12 baskets of leftovers and still say, I don't know him. How do I do that? I'm trying to catch fish. And his reality is manifesting that he doesn't catch that much fish. It's not working. It's just, but Jesus is watching. Jesus sees him. Thank God that Jesus didn't leave him there. Jesus calls him and he jumps from the boat into the water and swims to the shore and gets to where Jesus is. And Jesus begins to talk to him and says, do you? Love me. And when Peter's mind was open to this reality that there is a God that will never leave him, he was willing to die. Not crucified like his God. Not like his Jesus. He was crucified upside down saying, I will not be crucified like him. I'm not worthy. The same guy who denied him without a severe threat was willing to die in this revelation that this will pass by. We're waiting in hope for better. He says, from glory to glory. Thank God that young boy, 18 years old, sitting in front of a nightclub praying, Jesus, is this all? Is this life? Is this what I have? Is this my future? I don't want it. I need you, Jesus, to step into my life. And he didn't do it immediately, but his eyes was on me. And thank God he saved my life. That boy, thank God he didn't stay there. But there was hope enough that God would hear and would take him somewhere else. Where is God taking you?